everybody. This is Andrew Somerville. And I'm Jake Cox. And we would like to welcome you aboard to our first podcast. So sit back and enjoy the show while together we discuss a very important topic. So just a few things we're going to be going over today. First, we're going to explain our topic and discuss the problem. After that, we'll give you guys a few stats that will relate to the issue at hand. Next, we'll provide a little personal input, how we can relate, and just a couple stories on the matter. And last, we'll provide our recommendations for ourselves to help this problem. All right. So today, the topic we'll be discussing for really the entire duration of this podcast is how communities can do more to help formerly incarcerated individuals land on their feet and adjust back into society as smoothly and as fairly as possible. So, since there's a lot of material discussed around this topic, we're going to split it up into two parts. So, today's topic will specifically be discussing how communities can help formerly incarcerated individuals find affordable housing. So, down the road, we're also going to discuss how communities can assist formerly incarcerated people in finding meaningful employment, comprehensive health care, and other aspects of life uh, when adjusting back to society. But for now... We're going to zone in on the affordable housing part of this issue. So to kick things off, uh, when I first dug into this research on the issue, the first program I came across was the Fair Chance for Housing program. Uh, This was done through the Fortune Society. Um, With them, their motto is to end discrimination in housing for people with convicted records. Um, And then as I continued further into their research, a few interesting facts helped lay out the real problem. Um, So to kind of provide the facts right away off the bat here, uh, the first one I found was that in 2018, the United States prison population was clocking in at 2.3 million. Uh, That's making it the largest in the world. Uh, Another one here, more than 600,000 people are released from the U.S. prison system each year. Um, And then another one would be 63% of landlords won't even allow applications with a convicted uh, with a conviction to view a property of theirs so I believe a part of the problem is that so many landlords are are hesitant to allow formerly incarcerated individuals to rent and are not required to state in writing why they're rejecting these people so um, that kind of brings about a couple interesting facts um and to pass it over now to my partner here, he's going to... Yeah, and Andrew, you brought up an interesting point, in yeah. fact, with the landlords. And I just wanted to bring up a little way I can relate to this topic by saying that uh, in college, I lived off campus for three years, and I really enjoyed my house, loved it, had several roommates, and one day we got a call from our landlord and told us we could no longer live there and that he would be selling to the government. This is over on Beach Street, right? This was just in Manchester over on Beach Street. So what we ended up doing is, well, we kind of shook our heads. Very upsetting news, but we kind of got interested in what halfway houses are and, you know, how they can actually help the people who are formerly incarcerated. So this can lead me a little bit into our recommendations, Andrew. So... One thing that came to my attention during our research we were doing was the steps towards getting these formerly incarcerated individuals back into affordable housing within their communities. Right. 
This made me take another look into where formerly incarcerated individuals end up upon their releases. So where are these people ending up right after they get out? And I found that more often than not, the Federal Bureau of Prisons contracts with a residential reentry center. So that is what we know as halfway houses or even community correction centers. So this is a way to provide affordable housing to formerly incarcerated individuals upon release. It also gives halfway homes and re-entry centers a way to provide structure, supervision, as well as the opportunity to begin working again in the community for these formerly incarcerated individuals. The process of these homes is really meant to help these formerly incarcerated individuals. The purpose is for them to reconnect with their community, build a network. This way they can gain that more meaningful employment they're going to be searching for after getting out. And we just found that the proper steps to getting back within your community can really be started with a halfway house or a residential re-entry center. And Andy, I'm not sure if you want to talk a little bit more about the article we found. Yeah, no, I'll dive a little bit more into the research um, here and kind of provide some recommendations um, what we might have here. So to kind of pull off of what you're saying, we found an article um, during research. It was actually done by bankrate.com. Lena Borelli is the author, and she kind of discusses important topics in the article like homelessness among former inmates, um, housing options, and really what the government can do to assist um, directly with what we're talking about. It goes hand in hand. So in terms of government assistance, um, the article stated that the federal government lends some support through multiple programs benefiting formerly incarcerated individuals. Um, so there are three really, right? We had we had three. Yeah, we had three that stood out to us. Yeah. Our- yeah, the first, so the first one we found was it's like TANF, so T-A-N-F. Uh, this stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. So T-A-N-F program. It's designed to provide, and I'm quoting them, it's designed to provide low-income families with financial assistance uh, via a monthly cash grant. This grant is available to formerly incarcerated individuals with children who are struggling to achieve self-sufficiency. Um, such a, as such, payments can be used for a number of your average monthly living expenses, uh, as well as rent, food, utilities, medication, and transport, transportation. Um, so this is definitely a good program that could provide some relief to this issue. Another one we found, L-I-H-E-A-P. This would stand for the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program. Um, this is also federally funded. Uh, it assists low-income residents with an energy assistance to stay warm during the winter, uh, kind of during the extreme weather-changing months. Um, this program also offers assistance when there's an energy crisis and minor home repairs that need to be due made. To, sorry, again, I'm quoting this part right here. That need to be made due to an energy-related issue. Um, so really, this program is kind of talking about how they can pr- provide assistance with uh, with the weather here and. Yeah, Jake, you want to go over the last one? Yeah, the last one that we found, HUD, is another source of housing support when when you have difficulty affording rent. 
There are public housing options reserved explicitly for low-income renters. And otherwise, it's more than likely they cannot afford the growing cost of rent in their neighborhoods. So the Housing Choice Voucher Program, or known as Section 8, and again, we are quoting them, it can provide fee, free or reduced rent at an eligible rental of your choosing. So we want to make sure that housing providers cannot collect fees for background checks from any of these individuals as a way to make more money. The government should prohibit those fees and add enforcement to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Right. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are some, some three, uh, three programs that could definitely provide assistance, and they go hand-in-hand with the recommendations that we would, we would have. Absolutely, yeah. I believe they all tie together the things we talked about with affordable housing, the halfway homes. These programs are all in support to help these formerly incarcerated individuals get back within their communities and live the normal lives that we know they deserve to live. Yeah, yeah. There was one other little tidbit I forgot to mention earlier. Um, I had written down that we should make sure that housing providers can't collect fees for background checks from these individuals as a way of making more money. Um, the government should prohibit these fees and add enforcement to make sure this doesn't happen. Um, so that's pretty much all we got for you this week. Um, thank you very much for listening. We hope we came across clear. And, and uh, yeah, so Jake, you got anything left? Uh, no, that's all I've got. Thank you guys very much for listening. And we look forward to delivering our next podcast to you. Thank you for listening to Spittin' Ethics. <laughs> thank you.